we continue the lighting of the Advent candles. Uh, this is the fourth Sunday, the candle of uh, joy we'll be lighting. But the first candle, the candle of hope, lit with the thinking of Old Testament scriptures that uh, longed for the coming of Christ and for our hope that Christ is coming again. And remember, that's no kind of, I hope it doesn't rain, but an absolute confirmed hope, this is going to happen. Christ is coming again. And so that's what we today long for. Then also the idea of peace. Peace made through Christ on the cross with God, that our sins are forgiven and we are at peace with God. And the idea that God has loved us. The scripture telling us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing promise for us. And the final candle, the candle today, is the candle of joy. And the joy that we celebrate in the coming of Jesus Christ, the celebrating of his birth, but also the joy we share uh, in, in our salvation and with the body of Christ, all who are saved in knowing that we have eternal life. So we have a tremendous amount of joy that we, we have because of what Christ has done for us. The final candle, the white candle in the middle there is the Christ candle or the candle of light. And we will be lighting that one on our Christmas Eve service. Today, our scripture is going to be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, more often than not, you'll find that the uh, fourth Advent Sunday, the, the scripture comes out of Matthew or Luke in discussing the birth of Christ and the celebration around that. But we are choosing to go with John, chapter 1, uh, to give us a fuller picture of what Christ has done for us as we approach Christmas. This closer look, uh, well, let's read some scriptures there. I'm not going to read all 18 scriptures of, out of, of John chapter 1 that is considered the, or called the prologue, but I do want to read verses 1 through 5, verse 14, and verse 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And then verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God. So let me clarify that. No one has ever seen God the Father, the only God, God the Son, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known to us. In looking at these, uh, uh, a closer look as we as we go to these, John's purpose for writing this 
is that, well, let me share with you. It's interesting that normally somebody will share the, their purpose for writing something in, a, in, a, in the form of something at the, at the beginning of what they write. John puts it at the conclusion of what he writes. In the Gospel of John, in the 20th chapter, starting with the 30th verse, this is the reason John wrote this book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so, as we look at this, the reason that Jesus came was that we might have life. And John says, the purpose that I am writing in this is that you may see who Jesus is and believe in him and have life in his name. And, of course, that's what we start out with in this prologue that we would have life in Jesus Christ. So John is saying, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So let's go back to verse 1 now of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And I want to start with just the, the very first couple of words. In the beginning should ring a bell to all Bible readers. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. John intentionally did that. He wanted to draw us back to creation. In the beginning, it says very clearly then, uh, was the Word. The Word is Jesus. Somebody will say, well, how do you know it's Jesus? Well, actually in verse 14 it says the Word became flesh. Jesus, the one who became flesh. God the Son became flesh. And so we have In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. So, in the beginning was the Word. And I want to look at the Word and break things down. Uh, This idea of of even the Word was and how important words are uh, is a Word that has an action in the past that continues in the present. So something that happened in the past that is still happening. And so in the beginning was the word and and he still is the word. And in the beginning implies that before the beginning of time, going back to Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created in the beginning was the word. So what John is trying to emphasize here that the Hebrew people would certainly understand was that the word is eternal. And it says, and the word was with God. And the idea of being with God here is the idea of being face to face. Uh, we don't uh, frequently understand that as we just read through it quickly. But he was face to face with God, which means he's separate. He is in the beginning. He's eternal. He is separate, unique. And yet it turns around and says then that he was, the word was God, meaning equal with God, that he actually is God. What this alludes to is the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to this day, I have to confess that it's difficult for me to fully understand and comprehend how that comes together and works. But the reality is, is that God the Father is and God the Son And God, the Holy Spirit, what John is trying to identify here is that Jesus Christ is God. 
God the Father, God the Son. They are God and, and equal together. And uh, what we get, for instance, if you were uh, looking at some of the teachings that John uh, records from Jesus, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. John in chapter 8, verse 58, he was uh, talking and, and teaching, and he was talking with the Pharisees, and they were saying something about they were children of Abraham, and Jesus says, I was before Abraham. And they're saying, how could that possibly be? And so Jesus again says, before Abraham was, I am. The phrase, I am, is one of the few phrases I understand out of the Old Testament. Ego ami is the same phrase that was used at the burning bush when God says, I am, when Moses asked his name. Jesus was identifying himself. That's verse 58 of chapter 8 of John. In verse 59, you'll see that the Pharisees picked up rocks to stone him because they were saying, blasphemy, he's calling himself God. So very clearly, John is pointing out that Jesus is God. Jesus himself claims to be. And to add clarity to this, John adds in verse 3, all things were made through him. All things were made through him. So in the beginning, taking us back to Genesis and creation, everything that was made was made through him. He's part of creation. And we also see not only, you know, it says God, in the beginning God created, and then we see uh God created men. He says, let us let us create man in our image, referring to the fullness of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It also says the Spirit hovered over the waters. So we have the picture of the Trinity even there. Again, all things were made through him. Let me take you to a, a, another picture of this that, that Paul writes for us. In the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the Father, referring to the Father, the firstborn of all creation. And some people automatically see the word firstborn of all creation and say, oh, see, he, he is not actually God. He was born. And, and the reality of firstborn of all creation means he is in the position of inheritance that has the, the title firstborn. It's not a position of actually being born. He is in the position of firstborn. He inherits the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of God. And it tells us all through scripture that this is his position. So in the image, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then he goes on for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By the way, that in itself is a powerful statement. To this day, science says everything should be moving to to pull apart, and it's an amazing thing that things hold together. And to this day, they can't give you an actual sense of what that is that holds it together. They've come up with all sorts of, of, of ideas. It was a number of years ago uh, that a friend of mine who was in uh, studying to be a doctor, he said one of his classes, 
the professor called them gluons. Interesting name, gluons, holding everything together. But that's old hat now, too, because they, they really don't know. And here it tells us, in him all things hold together. It's his very word that holds things together. He is the creator. He holds things together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Again, that idea of firstborn position of, 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 of preeminence. And then it says in verse 19, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. He created all things. And then in verse 4 and 5 it says, uh, of, of, of John chapter 1. In him was life. The life was the light of men. In him was life. The life that Christ has is a life, is a life that shines through. It's, it's what brings understanding to men. If the life of Christ touches you, it brings wisdom to you, with understanding to you. Uh, even scripture tells you what is the, the, the foundation of wisdom. Well, the foundation of wisdom is to love God. That's the beginning of wisdom. And and so this picture is tied to that idea. In him was life, and life was the light of men, or understanding, bringing light to, to our thinking, understanding. And he says it shines in the darkness. In other words, wherever there is, is not understanding, the light of Christ comes and brings understanding. And what this is in reference to is the understanding in the reference to the things of the word of God. He shines in the darkness, and the darkness has over, not overcome it. The darkness can't overcome it. And the light shines, in, in, in the New Testament says, in his church it is to shine. And he made it very clear that even the gates of hell cannot overcome his church. The darkest place, the, 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 the holding place of the strength of darkness cannot overcome his light, his church. Now, in verse 14, then it says, the word became flesh, became literally man, and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt, uh, sometimes is explained, it's, it's the word tabernacled, but, uh, and people want to tie it to the old tabernacle of the Old Testament. But first and foremost, it means just simply the word tent. He tented among us. And the reason why that's so important is if you were to go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about our bodies being tent, and it's exact same word that is used here for dwelt. Our bodies are, are tents, temporary, but God has a building in heaven for us, a permanent place. We live in these tents, and we all know how fragile they are. Paul used that word to understand why we are so fragile. In a fallen world, our tents are, are, are subject to disease and and, and other issues. Jesus was in a tent just like ours. Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. 
we have seen, and it says, and we have seen his glory. Uh, and what they're referring to is, is at least three things that, that we can reference here. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, was what was called the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the mountaintop, and they saw him in his glory, a glorious light where he met with Moses and Elijah. And so they've seen him in his glory that way. They've seen him in the glory of his resurrection, and they saw him in his glory in the, in the ascension. And so they've seen him in his glory. They know what they're talking about. This one who came in the flesh, we've seen, even seen his glory. And then he says, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get to the father but through me. And his grace then is extended to us that we can come to him exceed his grace and and rest in his truth and come to salvation. Verse 18, it says, and, and let me read it again. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The phrase that's important to us is he has made him known. No man has ever seen God. Somebody say, well, Moses saw it, saw the back of God. No one has ever seen the fullness of God. Except the son. Well, how is that possible? Well, because he is from the beginning. He is eternal. He is part of who God is. He has seen the God, the God, the father. And as he came to earth, became a man, uh, and he became flesh tented among us. He declared, that's the word made here. He has declared him and made him known. He has declared him. In John 14, verses 6 through 11, uh, I want to read those verses. I already quoted from it uh, a moment ago, but I want to read the surrounding verses in the context now. John chapter 14, uh, verses 6 through 11. Jesus said to uh, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What he's saying is very clear here. There is no other way to come into eternal life than through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there is no other name under heaven that man might be saved. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father And it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who has, uh, who dwells in me does his, uh, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of all the works that I have done. Jesus has made the Father known to the point where he can say, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to finish this by reading again from uh, the that scripture from Colossians 
chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Going back to John chapter 1, verse 14. Oh, actually, verse 1. The word was with God, he was God, and the word became flesh. The child in the manger. We've sung about that to the, 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 in our service today. The child in the manger is the eternal Jesus Christ. Where the word became flesh, he is the same as the one who created all things. Now you understand even more the humility of Christ. The God of all creation enters into his creation. Not only does he enter into his creation, but he becomes as fragile as any man. He will be hungry. He will be tired. He will thirst. He will die on the cross for us. He became fully man that he, as his nature fully God, could pay the price for our sins, to pay the the penalty for our sins. And in so doing, invite us through him to eternal life. To the point where Paul can write, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Lord bless you. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful Christmas. Father, we thank you that we could be in your word together today. We ask, Lord, that your word would speak to us all through the rest of this week and that even on Christmas Day, we would be thankful for a moment, just that opportunity to be thankful. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The reason you did that was so that the cross could bring the peace between us and God that we could have eternal life if we rest in your grace and your mercy. We worship you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.